Welcome everybody to Good Money. We are here. This and we're Mark. done. We're done. <laughs> we are so done. Why are we done? Because this is the end of the season. We said everything that could possibly be said. <laughs> uh, we were doing some episode planning and we, we thought, you know, maybe for the next episode we could tell them how many dollars there are. Just start counting them up. And then that got pretty boring, so we thought we should just close close it out. Actually, it's not that boring. How many dollars are there? Well, I mean, with what they've just printed, you're looking at a at a monetary reserve of about uh, 10.5 trillion. It's a lot of dollars. But how that's broken up with all the different levels of and types of money that it's based on, it kind of gets interesting. It's not interesting. Okay, Mark's not interested in this. So what we're going to do, we've been getting a lot of questions. So next week, we're going to do a live Q&A and answer them. So tune in for that. We'll send out reminders, all this stuff. Ask us live. We'll, you know, fumble and mumble and groan. And we'll try and get some answers to you. And I'll try to wear my money sweater. Do it. Uh, but this week, and well, and we should say that we do expect a good money season part two. But... New Polity is a think tank, and the only reason we ever had anything to say was because we thought about this for a while. Mark and I had been thinking about this for about a year prior to mm -hmm. starting it, and so we want to take some time to do some good study so that we have something worthwhile for your ears next time. It's true. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll just start riffing on something and pretend, pretend to expertise, which is has interesting results. Yeah, a lot of people do that, and we figure that enough people do that already where you don't need it from us as well. That's right. Go get your meandering podcasts elsewhere. But today, we wanted to hit kind of a summative uh, point and talk w about what money is for, which we've done in part, but really where we are as a society. And, and I think the place to start is that we hear, we get all these emails and just in basic conversations, you've heard it too, I'm sure, that uh, everybody's looking for a good Christian community. I think totally. part of the reason why the Benedict option, when that came up like a decade ago, was so popular was precisely because people were starting to be fed up with where we are in the political discourse that we're in. Yeah, just, and I think on a, on a most fundamental level whenever i do a talk or whenever people reach out they just want to have communities of friends uh they want people they can trust i mean people are are longing for basic goods um that they're not getting yeah and, and it's not just a matter of saying like okay well we want like a christian community where we can do like our particular christian life I mean, all that is true, but it's more that for some reason, Christianity, the church seems to have become the last bastion where you can actually have friends yeah. in a way where you're trusting people in the way in which you, you're not relying on money and power to be the only ways in which a social group can cohere, but you're actually relying on love. Mm -hmm. Now, this is normal, right? We would say, yeah, that's what family and friends are, but it seems like in these latter days, uh, the church has become the last sort of place where you can find that. And so whenever I speak with Catholics, they're, they're always actively yearning to build precisely those kinds of communities. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so the restoration of friendship is on their minds and, uh, it's, it's sad in a way, right. That, yeah. that we've come to this point, I think. And, and I, th and it's really important that we realize that this is a cycle that we just go through as the church through the years. I mean, the Bible talks about this. I mean, it, it actually becomes so cyclical that the book of wisdom points this out as a cycle that we go through. It's that we're first with God in communion with him and thus as a result in communion with one another, mm -hmm. seeing that it's his image and likeness that's on our heart and that that is the greatest point of connection really that we have with one another. If you didn't image God, I just don't know how we'd get along. I know. I think that I'd have to start making better jokes or something <laughs> like that. But if we, so it starts off with that, then an idol comes along and mm -hmm. we get tempted by the idol and we start to live under the idol and we kind of like the idol for a while until the idol inevitably turns on us. Why inevitably? Because his order is not God's order, that it fights against the way that creation is actually constructed and how, and, and really the end, the purpose for which man was created. So we get to this. So the cycle begins with God then you idolize then you kind of like the idol, then you don't like the idol anymore. And then you start to groan is what the book of wisdom says. Then the people start to groan out under the Kings. Mm -hmm. So, and you see this, I mean, this is what happened in Exodus two, when the Israelites groaned under the weight of Pharaoh and God saw their Yeah. Groaning. I think, and I think this is important to, to point out, like what were the Israelites doing in Egypt? I think sometimes we forget, well, they came there because scarcity they came there because there's a famine mm. and when they got there originally they had this obscure relationship to the king in the sense that it was very friendly yeah. it was very beneficial the king was going to give them land in goshen to live mm -hmm. um that was land that was designated for the priests and then there's just this slight relationship of what you might call rent that's introduced within that right at the end of Genesis where he talks about, uh, well, you're going to look after the King's flocks or something. There's mm -hmm. some, there's some participation within Egypt that's necessary, um, for them to get these goods of avoiding the famine. Mm -hmm. So then when you flip the page and you're reading Exodus, all of a sudden you're like, they're living under hard slavery and groaning and crying out. And I think that we can forget that actually the roots of that slavery are already in the the relationship that people take up towards power that isn't you know ultimately the church but power that isn't really orientated towards them but towards amassment so it begins with these things that we enjoy well we're getting goods we're getting food we're getting land we just have to do this little bit of service to the king we just have to have this um, small degree of our labor and time is going to be sacrificed for building up this Egyptian state. Um, but once you're in that relationship, that's when what you're talking about happens, that, that sort of downward spiral into idolatry. Right. Uh, until, yeah, until you are structurally integrated within a kingdom that isn't the kingdom of God and the human rulers of that kingdom can demand more of you than than you like. <laughs> yeah, and, and it kind of seems a little bit extreme at first. Like, well, there was scarcity. There was a famine going mm -hmm. on. But still, I think in uh, Isaiah, 
Hmm. Let me steer my can't remember actually right now. But God says, you know, you went down to Egypt without asking me mm, yeah. against my will. Yeah. And uh, and you see something similar with um, Elimelech at the beginning of the book of Ruth. There's famine in, in Israelite. So he goes to Moab and Moab, he dies. So the very thing that he was trying to avoid, yeah. you know, happens to him. The family starts to suffer and they need not the this the this the system control of control the pagan system of of moab but they need the friends in israel yeah and so they go back yeah um and and so there's always this this groaning this pain that comes about once once you're fully encaptured in the system and then this desire to return to god's community according to his way according to his law as well uh, that that happens as well, and I think that's just where we're at. When people are asking about how do we create good Christian community again, there's they're groaning, and we're groaning, and we're saying that this is something that you know we've we've committed. We just need to realize that when we're asking that, how do we create good Christian community? It it, it necessarily implies that we've been idolatrous in some way. Yeah, that's right. And I think especially when you when you go back to considering how basic these goods that we're yearning for are, I mean, not having friends mm-hmm. or only having a few friends that you can't really see as much as you want, that is an apocalyptic problem, right? That's like human flourishing being snipped yeah. right at the bud. Yeah. Um. So when we're yeah. talking about building up a Christian community and we we're like, yeah, like you say, when you're, when we're yearning for that, um, we are acknowledging that we have been really alienated from the goods of this world and from, from the real. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got to get back. Yeah. And, and, and it means that we have to be kind of painfully, um, you know, truthful with ourselves we have to say, okay, if we really want this new community, how do we, what, what have we done? And one of the things that we've tried to point out in this podcast is that money and how we relate to it and use it, relate to others through it, is one of those means by which we've been idolatrous. Yeah, m- money is a way of making the human world look like the real world. That is to say, it's a particular construction that tries to make itself uh, an accurate description of the real. So with prices, with having a motivation for for work, a kind of universal incentive, a universal language, um, it tries to assert itself as replacing creation in some way that the real thing is. And you actually hear this in our language, right? You hear just these little goofy things we say like, that are obviously untrue, but we say them anyways as sort of pieties, like time is money, time is money. <laughs> so no, time's not money. <laughs> but it does have that effect of like, well, if money is supposed to be the measure of everything and all time is a choice about what to do with that time, apparently, then yeah, you can make that equation. Or something like uh, money talks. Mm-hmm. You ever hear that? Mm-hmm. Bad guys say that. <laughs> well, Money uh, makes the world go round. Money makes the world go round. Yeah. Uh, everyone has a price. Yeah. And so these are all supervillain quotes, but <laughs> they're also just common common wisdom that you hear. Um, and what we're talking about is the way in which the money economy strives to encapsulate the real, mm-hmm. right? So we would feel funny, I think, to say things like family talks or like 
friendship makes the world go round. Mm. Doesn't that sound lame? Sounds like you're you need like a really like a, a rainbow or like a yeah, sunset. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Friendship makes the world go yeah, round. Yeah. But that's part of uh, the degradation of the church in America is that obviously true things sound silly and obviously false things sound hardcore. <laughs> Well, yeah, we need better marketing, don't we? Um, yeah, we can find better ways to say friendship makes the world go round. <laughs> but this, and then we've we've kind of mentioned this, some of this, like part of the reason, the, the only way that the mon monetary economy ever works is because it's parasitic upon the gift economy. Mm -hmm. uh, that the way that we could ever give and receive money to one another for other goods is convincing them that they want what we have instead of convincing us that, that a union of life together is is best for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, and and this is and so when when we're trying to propose alternatives, instead of the systems that we've created to use money more efficiently and such, to turn instead, excuse me, to the virtues, we're trying to do what Christ tells us is the per, is is the purpose of all life which is to love God and to love neighbor and to become friends with both. Mm -hmm. So when he says that we are supposed to use, to make friends with the mammon of iniquity, he's talking about that obviously within the whole context of his ministry, within the message of the gospel and making friends is ultimately first found in being friends with God, with within the Trinitarian relation of love, of giving and receiving, of begetting and proceeding, so that we might truly be in union with God. And insofar as we start to unite with God fully and our neighbors start to do that as well, well, then all of a sudden we start to have a real union with our neighbors again, mm -hmm. in and through our beloved creator. And so if that's the whole point of the gospel of coming in union with God through sacrifice and then in union with our neighbor, again, through sacrifice, then money needs to be the artifact that we've created to, you know, redefine relations needs to be used for that end, right. for actually having real sanctifying relations with, with others. Mm -hmm. And the way that we do that is through the virtues. And there's something yeah. there's something paradoxical here in that what it means to establish a friendship is for money to no longer be necessary. Well, precisely. So there's yeah. a way in which what Christ is saying is is use the mammon of iniquity to destroy the mammon of iniquity. Mm -hmm. Because the moment that you've established a friendship is the moment that you have a basis for exchange uh, and valuations that simply can't be valued in terms of money and you wouldn't want them to be. Yeah. Right. Like we know this. If I, if I give you a gift and you say, "Oh, I owe you one. I'm going to get you back. I'm going to give you some money for it," and it's like it would be that would ruin the relationship. It would. The yeah. friendship um, knows itself to be beyond such. You know. And people trifling. say this. They say never, no, never go into business with family or mm -hmm. never go into business with friends, because they know that rigorous quantifying is something that just inherently hurts the friendship. Right, you right. You know, it, it's not, it doesn't, you're, you're introducing something inorganic to something that's, you know, most profoundly natural. Um, the rigorous counting, calculating, accounting, it doesn't work for the endless health giving. This is why when St. Thomas talks about monetary exchanges, he says that money is only ever used in occurrences of coercion. 
he writes, he says that money's only parted with in terms of coercion. Mm. Whereas when you give a good gift to one of your friends, you feel like you've almost received a gift as well. Sure, yeah. Because your lives are so intertwined. You give it to, I mean, it's most obvious in marriage. If you give your spouse a gift, well, you get to use it. But right. but there's also the delight um, that the other person has it. Mm-hmm. The sacrifice that you have made, the passion that you, you have is something that's, uh, is is filled up. The void of giving is filled up with, with the joy of the other. Mm-hmm. But with money, you really don't know the other. You don't have a life in union with them. And so you just part with it and you're begrudgingly uh, doing so. And, uh, and so we all start to operate like, I think, the kings of this earth, like the pharaohs um, whom the Israelites were enslaved under because there's not this real union. There's this constant temptation towards idolatry with the artifact of money insofar as we just use it, insofar as we use it to to compel somebody to give us something instead of entering into a relationship of love. And now, in all of this, I, I want to just be clear that I think it's necessary that we're just not going to be able to get around it. Mm-hmm. St. Bernardine of Siena said as much. He's a great, great Franciscan saint of the 15th century. He, he went around and his main topic was, was money and the economy uh, on his preaching tours. Uh, and he said, you know, as much as I hate this stuff, it's just necessary, like blood is for the body. And uh, and so I just want to make sure that that's clear. But but it is it is non ideal. You know, it's it's far from what we should be tending towards. Mm-hmm. And that I do think that there is the temptation not just to be under Pharaoh, but to try and be Pharaoh in so far as we use it. Yeah, no, it, it definitely um, is not just a neutral tool. It's a tool that shapes its users. Um, and so I do think that if we're ever going to have strong Christian communities, um, I mean, if you look at acts of the apostles, there's already a glimpse of a Christian community. That's one of its characteristics is that money has sort of fallen to the wayside as, as a calculating tool and it's become a gift for others. I mean, you see this, that the widows and orphans were taken care of and that all things were held in common. Right. And so the idea that we're going to somehow form intentional communities, Christian communities without dealing with money and without actively having a plan for um, kind of taking ourselves off the the life support machine of, <laughs> of the money economy, I think is foolish. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think that people often get very... I don't know what the word is. They want common sense to simply be like, well, money is this other thing. So we don't touch that. We just make sure that we're being good and moral and virtuous, but, but money has nothing to do with it. Right. Whereas it seems to me obvious that if we don't, if Christians don't change how they work with money and what they do with money, then they're never going to have the Christian community that they so fervently desire. Yeah. I mean, just think about it this way. One of the things that we've said is that, you know, it's probably wrong to have blind investments Mm -hmm. and it's almost certainly wrong in most cases to just presume that your money should make more money. Mm -hmm. And there's no way in heck that our current system of 
planning for the retirements of Catholics and priests on the basis of investing in Amazon and Google is good. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a no no. That's bad. But just think about it in terms of community. Like if a Christian people are a finite people, we only have so much energy. We only have so much, you know, oomph to us. We're we're, we're this we're worldly, right? We're finite. We are. Yeah, we got our limitations. Yes, Christ doesn't. We do, <laughs> and He's working through us. Thank goodness. So we, when we take our money and give it to the world to then run, which is what we're doing, we have that much less power to orientate towards building up particular communities here. Yeah, I mean, the 401k makes this really obvious in the sense that you actually say no to having money until a later time in life. Mm-hmm. But that later time in life is precisely the time when you can assume that the community has been most established already. What do we do with the elderly? I mean, ultimately, when we think about retirement, we think about, okay, these people are, they're no longer the thing that's shaping the community. They're no longer the thing that's definitely orientating the common, like the particularities of what the city's going to look like. They're the people that are being served, mm-hmm. that are enjoying in some way their rest from their labors. So the idea that we can just not use Christian money and then give it to Christians later, having made investments in the world, and somehow this is going to lead to radical Christian communities. I mean, I think it's just foolish. Yeah, it's it is. I think it's consequentialist, and I think it's something that we need to sit down and realize is that, like the whole consequentialist thesis is, I want X in outcome, and I want to get there no matter what it takes. But St. Paul brings this up in Romans when he says, let us not say, let us do ill that good might come. We have the only ways that we ever could get to good is by, or by having good is by doing good. Right. That the means have to be good in order to have a good outcome. Right. Because the Christian society is a society of friends and friends develop because people become virtuous together. Mm-hmm. Friends aren't like people that have shared interests. That's like a, that's, that's like a bowling league, you know? But Christianity is something a little more than a bowling league. Just a uh, little. Yeah. <laughs> because because they have virtues. So, you know, what what I see in someone that's a friend is someone that I know I can trust to be good and to work for my happiness, which is something I can only know through seeing their practice of the virtues, yeah. right? And similarly, they look at me and they know that I'm good and they can say that I'm good and affirm it even when I forget that I'm good Mm -hmm. because they see in me the practice of the virtues and joined together. These things mutually influence each other unto sanctity because the virtues challenge each other. They make up for what's lacking. This person has patience where I'm impatient. You join a social body where you're all helping each other orientated towards the end of being perfect. And you get to presume that too. I think that's really wonderful. What do you mean? You get to presume that the other is searching for virtue. Oh yeah, I yeah. Mean, and so there's there is that, uh, you know, of almost a give when the other messes up. It's not the precision that uh, of of a machine in the relationship. You oh, understand? Totally. We're both suffering in getting to heaven, and sometimes uh, I need to be a bit more patient, or I just I need Mark to be, you know. I, I can presume that Mark's going to be forgiving to me when I mess up. Right. It, it, it leads to a merciful community because you're not just saying, you're not saying this is a community for the virtuous as if it's by virtue, you mean the perfected. 
-hmm. right? That's yeah. what we're all aiming at. Yeah. But there is something about seeing habitual good actions, which is yeah. what a virtue is, that gives you the assurance in your heart that those actions will continue. And then for someone to not, it's a disappointment, obviously. You're like, oh, this generally patient person is not being patient with you. <laughs> um, but it's, but it, it, it's, you understand people as narratives that are moving in this direction. You mm -hmm. just understand them as stories, as adventures that are all going off um, together towards heaven. And that gives you the kind of confidence you need to kind of breathe easy within your community. You're not mm -hmm. sitting there thinking like, oh, is this particular bad action indica indicative of uh, the fact that this person is not in fact my friend? Do I actually live among enemies? It's like, no, no, no. You don't have to worry about that because you are Christian you're in the church, you're working towards virtue, you're, you're working towards sanctity. Money uh, can't build that kind of social cohesion. No, yeah. Right? It, it has a cohesion insofar as we have common material interests. I need stuff. I want stuff. I need to get stuff. I need to eat. I need to yeah. sleep. Maybe I want things I don't need. But the point is when we build cities on the basis of all trying to make money when we build communities on that basis or when we try to build Christian communities without checking our use of money so that we still have this fundamental part of our life that's just seeking our material interest and is keeping out friendship and gift and all that stuff, putting that at, out, at, at bay. Yep. Um, well, we're going to get what we pay for. That's right. I mean, and again, the book of wisdom says that in our prosperity, we cannot know our friends. Wow. There's an actual break, a cleavage in the relationship. And then I think there's, you know, we another thing we just have to be honest on is that we can't harbor one vice and be virtuous. You know, that is slowly going to overtake the rest of our life and the harm, and especially one that's so uh, inherent, that is inherently social. As as mm -hmm. as a as greed is as prodigality is, um, as meanness as pettiness as envy as they all are, that they start to block out relationships. These are all the vices that oppose mm -hmm. you know some of the virtues that we've talked about. Well, and on the contrary, the 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 virtues of magnificence, liberality, temperance, when you see them exercised in others, they're always invitations to participate in the common good. And I mean this very practically. Mm -hmm. If you have someone that's being liberal, it means that gifts are being regularly distributed throughout your community. Yeah. Maybe you're the recipient, maybe your cousin's the recipient. Mm -hmm. But the point is gifts are flowing because a particular person is being good. And be, he's being good in a way that you can rely upon. This is the difference between a virtue and just like a spastic motion of goodness, which totally. sometimes you see, right? Yeah. You see people that are, they get a bunch of money and they're feeling good. And so they're like popping champagne bottles around or whatever. I don't actually see this, but this would be fun. Um, so you drink the champagne, you're great, you're having fun, but then next day comes and you know they're full of regret for having spent the money. And then yeah. you, know, you can't rely on that because it's not, it's not, orientated towards ultimately becoming a good person. Whereas the the person who actually wants to be liberal is involved in a work of shaping his soul mm -hmm. into that of the liberal man. You can presume on it. And that, and that I think is the difference between a um, thinking in terms of building up a society as opposed to just like a sort of narrow individualistic moral, moral component mm -hmm. uh, where you're like, well, that, that man is becoming something but doesn't have anything to do with me. It's like 
now I get to lean on this man and I get to take part in the fruits that he gives because I know that what he's doing is going to continue. I can yeah. build institutions on this basis, right? Yeah. I can I can start a particular business in a particular way because I know that my town has a magnificent man in it, mm-hmm. right? Or I can um, be less afraid of taking on uh, a risk, right? Because I know that my community has a uh, beneficent man in it. Yeah. I, you know, I was just talking you know I mean? to somebody, a friend of mine this last weekend, and um, he's, he's himself has become, you know, quite good friends with another guy who keeps starting really beautiful. I would, I mean, even use that term, beautiful businesses. Um, and, and he only ever keeps $15,000 as his emergency fund for his family of seven. Uh, and, and that's it. And, and my friend said, that um, it's not because he was listening to good money, but just because he had such a strong uh, support network. His family is just so united to one another that they always know that they have one another's backs. I mean, that was something that just existed. Yeah, you know, no, it just exists seen... and that you can presume upon, that you have freedom in. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's I... not the way of the nations. No, it's true. The way of the nations is to alienate you in such a manner that you have no one to fall back upon except for the primary source of power within the society, which is usually configured as the state, the sovereign, the king. But ultimately, it's whoever is perceived as holding a monopoly on violence, right? The one that can enforce his will. Mm-hmm. By alienating people, by getting rid of their friends, when there's a moment of crisis, they always fall back on that power. I mean, and I mean this very practically, like when something bad happens, who do you call? You call the cops. Ghostbusters. Oh, sorry. Yeah. That's no, right. the Ghostbusters can't help you. No, that's right. They don't have the monopoly. They don't have the sovereign power. Yeah. yeah. So this is sort of a political concept, but it, it relates directly to money because when we are, um, when we place our trust in money rather than in friends in order to save us in times of famine and scarcity and crisis um then i mean i guess i just said it that's what we do Mm -hmm. we build that habit so that we don't trust others and in turn they're not going to build up trust for us we're slowly losing the capacity to have um, a community of friends because we have a certain addiction in a way to turning to money to solve our problems. How do we, how, what are we going to do when we retire? Money. What are we going to do when we get sick? Money. What are we going to do to have fun? Money. What are we going to do to make this place a good place? Money, 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 all the way down. Um, and so it's no surprise then we can do all this stuff and maybe we'll even be successful and make money. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we haven't built up a community of friends um, because friends are people you rely on. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things we, we did a talk and um, and there was some older folks that were inspired to ask other people if they would take care of them when they were, Ill, yeah, that was, if they were going to get, yeah. if they were going to, okay, we're not going to do this route of just trying to depend on money, but I need to know, are you going to take care of me? Mm-hmm. And it was funny because watching them discuss this in like a Q and a, it's like all the young people perked up cause they were like, Oh, I'd totally do that yeah. <laughs> because they, I think people understand that, that that is the alternative to a security that happens on the basis of money is a security that happens on the basis of sacrifice, gift and friendship. Yeah. And they want to be asked to participate in that, but you can't have it 
both ways. I mean, you, there has to be the risk of saying, will you take care of me? Will we be friends together? You know, yeah. can we do this as a people rather than um, as constant reliance on a non-friendly source of security, mm -hmm. which is orders the world unto the benefit of the orderers, <laughs> not to be esoteric. So I think one thing that's coming out clearly is that money is a tool within a larger social order. Mm -hmm. It does fundamentally change it. It's an artifact that changes the way that we relate. But it's but it also is dependent upon a particular understanding of what politics is and what politics is for. Sure. What politics is, the art of living together well. What is it for in the Catholic tradition? It's clear that it's for virtue. But what, what does the rest of the world say it's for? And this is our plug for Andrew Jones and Alex Plato's new series, The Principles of Catholic Politics. I don't know if that's what they're calling it. Is that what they're calling it, Alex? We never know what they're calling we, it. We didn't know what this was going to be called when we started. That's so true. This is well within the tradition. Speaking of better marketing, we probably need a better name for them. They'll come yeah, up with it. But, we'll try. Um, but I think that what they're going to do is give us the larger vision of what an order should be. Mm -hmm. And then we'll be able to see, I think more clearly where the place of the virtues uh, falls within it. And then where money could be uh, properly operable within it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But so that will start in two weeks. Wow. That's exciting. I'm really excited. I'm excited that. not to talk, but just to listen. <laughs> Doesn't that sound nice? Yeah, it will be nice. All right. Well, anything else? Final thoughts? Final words? Well, guys, what a ride! It's been great. We've been having a, we've just been having a ride of a time here. Um, I think that money is, <laughs> is. I understand it a little less than I did when I started. Um, what do I think? I think that it takes a lot of work to rid the Christian people of their community, of their friendship, to break them up, to make them scared, to make them uh, incapable of actually changing their world, um, to force them to contribute directly to the, to the building up of Egypt um, rather than building up the church. I mean, it takes effort because we really had something. And I think, yeah. I think sometimes people look at like the good old days and they don't see it as a fruit of Christianity um, because they have some weirdo liberal enlightenment view or just like without Christianity, we're still good old, good old eggs. Um, so they bemoan things as if what happened was just the, the 1950s became the 1960s and that was the problem. So they want, where do, like, why don't we have good, strong families? Why don't we have, friends why don't we have local businesses and mom and pop shops why are we overrun by like woke corporate corporations and 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 conservatives get really down in the dumps with this but they don't they don't question i think doesn't seem the role that money has had in splitting up the christian people into discrete units who are all scared and who all ultimately rely on it rather than on friendships and therefore don't have communities of friends. Yeah. I don't think you can have the benefits of Christ without Christ himself. Right. And another, another way is that we are created in shared being in, in our, in our life lived together, that the common good 
in a one beautiful sense precedes us mm-hmm. um, that it that it existed before us and will out outlive our earthly existence here and um and that we need to live into and cultivate that and anything that creates us or may, renders us more monadic more automatized more uh individualized separate from one another is 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 something that we need to immediately be moving against. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's just of the devil. It needs to be cast it's right of out. Of the devil. And and but we can't do it without Christ. We no. can't do it without his grace. We can't do it without prayer. We can't do it without uh, the church that is actively giving us the chance of binding ourselves together in and through her. No, I mean you see this you see this very practically. If you if you're not receiving the sacraments, if you're not in communion with the church, you can't you can't take what we're saying and somehow, uh, somehow still have it. Because what are we saying? We're saying that we have to become virtuous and we have to replace relations of money with relations of friends. But you can't do that if you're a crappy person that doesn't have the love of God in their hearts. I mean, this is like, I mean, you can try. But at some point, you're just, you're, it's just don't like, try, actually. Yeah. Just, oh, that's right. No, 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 don't you know, try. Yeah. Just don't try. Yeah. I mean, uh, because this isn't a theoretical thing. This is something that requires you to, in love, reach out and say, I want to give more gifts rather than less. I yeah. want less money rather than more. I want more friends. And none of that is, you can't fake that. Like that has to actually come from a heart that's moving towards greater sanctity. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, I think, what distinguishes the Catholic vision on money from a worldly vision is that there's no machine that can replace people actually becoming good. I mean, one of the questions we get, it's like, well, how do you, how do you convince the rich to do this? And what people seem to mean, especially when it comes to like the virtues of magnificence and liberality and what people seem to mean sometimes is like, well, how do you incentivize the rich to do this? Like what, what social mechanism can we implant such that it's beneficial for the rich to be magnificent? Why would they ever buy into this? It's like, I just want to say no, like they have to convert to Catholicism. Yeah. It, and there is no like avoiding the missionary mandate of the gospel is there's no like, well, we can achieve this uh, if people just become really convinced about these points of Catholic social teaching. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, these points, what's no one would want to do them except if they actually want to become saints. Yeah. And so what are we doing? We're like not evangelizing, but somehow trying to still create like, I don't know, like a just society without that. Yeah. And I think it's also really important on this, on on like the convictions, the academic intellectual life. Part of the reason why we need to create a just Catholic social order is precisely for those who don't understand the points. Um, Yeah, totally. It almost sounds condescending when I say that, but I think it's really important. I'm dumb (laughs) and I I appreciate it. I do. The, uh, I really think this is important because most, most people, you know, myself more than well included until you, you know, pulled my ear, you know, several years ago, uh, just go through life and assume that the way things are are just the way things are, you know, and it's not that, the systems of government that we've created are in fact works of human hands, that they're artifacts um, and that we uh, could create artifacts that are better or worse that unveil God to us more or, or less. And that naturally habituate our, us 
through the common habits and exposures that the systems cultivate in, mm-hmm. in people uh, to either be more inclined to be docile to Christ and his church or less. Mm-hmm. And so it made the, so what is so important about cultural Catholicism is that it gives everybody a good shot of becoming a saint more so than what they would have if there wasn't, it was only a liberal cultural society at large. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fair just to, and, and it's not to the academics who might trick themselves into thinking that I just need to be convicted of these points and I just need to live like this myself. Uh, he's completely lost the plot of, of Christianity as well. Mm-hmm. We, we need to bring back cultural Catholicism in a way that it can be enlivened. Yeah. And, and, and economic Catholicism, I think would be a, a way to kind of hone in on yeah. what we need. I mean, if, if the world that people wake up and eat their breakfast in is one in which most inco- most companies are employee owned, in which there's a general sense that money is for the poor, um, and they're just breathing that air, then you know why make it so hard to be good? Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of ways that people have suggested that are moving into um, relationships of trust and friendship um, that are attaining some of those same goods that previously money has relied on. I mean, I am very optimistic. I really see a lot of people forming communities, uh, replacing models of insurance with models of sharing, whether health or life. Um, I see a lot of people at least talking about um, local currencies. I see a lot of people that are rightly offended by indirect taxes and just don't know where to put that anger. And so they end up kind of weirdo conservatives i guess but there's a lot of libertarian really yeah yeah yeah. um you know and i see i see people quite literally getting their money out of the market and then using that money for great things you know i've seen this on multiple occasions that people that come into contact with the church's teaching um that's one of the actions that they're convicted by. And I think with enough, with enough of that, what, what that actually amounts to is that you're taking power away from the world and you're using it for the church away from the city of man, using it for the city of God. Um, And if we could do this at enough of a distributed scale, Mm -hmm. so like many, many people doing it, then we could help, it would help us, I think, to realize those words of Christ that the kingdom of heaven is among you. Because I don't think he simply meant like, it's hiding around the corner, I hope you find it. I think part of what that very mysterious saying was, was to say, you have it within your capacity. Like the powers given to you by grace, right? Have the capacity to build up a particular society it's it's not something that's impossible. Is it something that can be perfectly done here? No, probably not. But God supplies the grace that we need yeah. to change the way we deal with money so as to build up a kingdom of friends. We can do it. There's no reason to despair. I, yeah, I think that it's important that when... like We, we talk about a lot in the verses from Acts when they held all things in common. But the the clause that comes right before that is that there was no needy person among them. Yeah. And I think that had to be revealed to us. 
Like, I think it's a, it's a particular reason why God put that in his revelation in sacred scripture itself is that I don't think we would believe it otherwise. Mm. But as people who are of the church seeking to be in and, and with God, uh, one of the greatest ways we can do that is through internalizing his sacred scriptures. And we have to internalize that truth, that oh, yeah. it is just a truth. And that with his grace, it we is, can get there. It is possible that there will be no needy among you. Yeah. So anyways, we'll look forward to talking with you all next week on the live Q&A. Um, chat in without your boss seeing because it'll probably be during work hours. And uh, Or just tell your boss to take actually, the day yeah. off. Yeah, tell him. To and ask some questions. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it'll be really good. And, and feel free to prepare anything from, you know, just found 10 bucks. What do I do? To more nitpicky questions on, yeah, I don't know, Aquinas on the virtues or something like that. I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah. We're, um, we're not that smart, but we have been um, thinking about this for a little while now. So make good use of us because after this, who knows what we'll be talking about. <laughs> All right, everybody. Take care. God bless. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>